0: Our scripture today comes from 1 John chapter 7, beginning at the 21st verse. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear And he has given us this command Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please pray with me. But there's a lot of good stuff here. And we ask for your spirit to help us give weight to those things that you want us to hear this morning. You know our frame. You know our weakness. You know our needs. You know what we are capable of. Come, Holy Spirit, and descend upon us. Amen. Amen. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Twice in this passage, John states succinctly and boldly, God is love. And yet those words can uh, easily become something we're accustomed to. They can become kind of a cliche. Thomas Merton, decades ago, long before the onset of the internet, said, uh, people don't want to hear any more words. In our mechanical age, all words have become alike. To say God is love is like saying, eat Wheaties. Well, before, as I said earlier in the service, before the words God is love became kind of a cliche, they were revolutionary, they were radical. In at least a couple of ways. Um, God, not the gods, but God. And the word God was a sort of generic word for deity. It's not a name. But what John is saying is there's only one God that really is worthy of being called God. Yes, there are, all, there are other spiritual beings, and sometimes even the Bible will refer to them sort of like gods. But most of the time, there's only one God that's really God and only one God that matters, and that is the God that has come to us in Jesus Christ who has revealed himself to us from the beginning to the end of Scripture. That God is God. For people in the first century who weren't Christians or Jews, the gods were not necessarily moral. They were amoral. Even those who they regarded as the supreme gods, like Zeus, were perfectly capable of acts of rape and murder. And so to talk about a God that's not only moral and not only loving as Jewish people were accustomed to thinking about God, but bringing God's love to a whole new level to say that God is love. In other words, there's nothing that God ever does apart from his love. The only thing God is capable of doing is loving Sometimes that love disciplines. As the writer of Hebrews says, God disciplines those he loves. I know I need that discipline at times. But God is love. Now, it would make sense that um, love would need to be defined, explained in some way. Love is certainly understood in any number of ways in our culture and through the media. And by the way, one of the things you'll find with John in this epistle is, is if something is worth saying once, it's worth saying twice. And so you can almost always find the same thing in another part of the epistle. And so John actually responds to that question, OK, what is love? Oops. This is how we know what love is. This is First John 3:16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I don't know about you, but it isn't very often that I have the opportunity to actually lay down my life for someone. In fact, if that had ever happened, I wouldn't be standing here this morning, right? If I had already laid down my life for someone. So this needs a little bit of explaining. And actually he goes on to give us an example of this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Okay. So we, we can be pretty identified. Um and we'll, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, the next verse is, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So this isn't just to be theoretical, it's supposed to be actual. And Those possessions that we can kind of identify with and cling to the willingness to let those go to the point of sometimes feeling a little insecure ourselves. That's one way in which we can lay down our lives for each other. That's one way. But fortunately there are other ways to think about this love and other ways that John talks about this love. Um, That some of which may be familiar to us and some of which may be surprising. And in fact, what I'd like to do over the next six weeks, including today, is to take each of these ways that describe God's love and consequently are to gradually inform how we love one another. I'd like to quickly go through those today and then we'll take each of them one by one in these last weeks that I will be your pastor at Bellevue Reformed Church. And it just seems right that what we talk about is love because that's what's going to be important for each of us and all of us going forward. Knowing we are loved by God. Loving God. And loving one another. The, uh, the six things, by the way, are that um, love um, makes. Love mends. Love Sacrifices, love sins, love is fearless, and love lives like Jesus. So let's start with the fact that love makes. That may not have been the first thing that came to your mind when I talked about love or God's love. But it's the first thing that the Bible says about God's love. Remember, God is love. Whatever God does is some expression of his love. And what is the first thing that God does in the Bible? He creates the heavens and the earth. He makes stuff. He creates the heavens and the earth as a whole. And with that raw material, he makes particular things like stars and tomatoes and people and we are made in his image. We are makers. And our making is also to be an expression of our love for God and one another. And so we love everything um, from meals. Make, or we make meals. We make poems. We make lesson plans. We make gardens. We make casual conversation. We make communities. We just make stuff all the time after the service today linda invites people to join her in making two prayer blankets yeah it'll happen in the narthex so right after worship today no i'm sorry in sander lounge sander lounge thanks for the correction um, so even today we have the opportunity right after this service to make stuff And. Because we don't necessarily automatically think of making as loving, these things can become separate from one another. And so when God made human beings and and put Adam in the garden, we're told that he made Adam so that he could work the garden. And at one level, that may seem like God is, you know, wanting uh, Adam to be his slave. And in fact, the gods of other nations created human beings to be their slaves. That's not the God of the Bible. God loves making things. God loves making gardens. And so he he creates this human being in his image to join him in this work of making. I know there's Timothy back there who loves to make gardens. And God loves it that Timothy loves making gardens. I know many of you love making gardens. And caring for those gardens is a part of the making. The word work isn't necessarily a word that we associate with love. These need to become integrated again. All of life is to be an act of love. And so that's a part of our work as disciples, to integrate our love life with our making, with our working whether it's making meals or making our way in our car to that next definition, to make it an act of love, to love the ability to do it and to love what it is that we hope will be the result of our making. Love makes. In our scripture for today, John says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Most of us know something about that. That making love makes babies. It makes kids. And then with that child or those children, we make a home. The act of giving birth is the act of making. Each of us has been born of God. And as we'll find out in a few moments, we also need to be reborn of God. Both things are an act of his love. His love gave birth to you. His love made you. And his love is even now remaking you. God's love makes. And he would love it if we would see those parts of our lives that we've seen as separate from love to become a part of our love life. Love mends. While well, it's true that the Bible makes a big deal out of the fact that, that um, God makes stuff, made the heavens and the earth, most of the Bible, almost the entire Bible from beginning to end is mostly about God mending what he has made. Mending what's been broken. And we do need mending, don't we? God's creation needs mending. Relationships need mending. Our relationship with God needs mending. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he lives in us now, to repair what is broken and to use us in that process of his mending the world around us. I, I kind of enjoy mending things. Hey, Corey. <clears throat> I enjoy running, too. I don't usually do it during worship, but uh, I do enjoy running. <clears throat> so, good luck with that, Tara. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I I've periodically refer to my illustrious two-month career as a construction worker. And in spite of all that time of learning how to work with tools, I never have actually built a house, my own house. Okay? But I have ple- spent plenty of time mending. Hey, Corey. Oh, you've been cut off at the pass. All right, there you go. Can you, can you sit with, with Tara now? That would be great. Thank you. So, you know, I I actually enjoy mending things. You know, I'm a much better mender and repairer than I am a builder. Although, even there, I continually come up against my my limits, like on Thursday night. Um, Our sink got plugged up. I thought, no big deal. There was my wife, you know, with the plunger. But there's been plenty of times when I came in and, you know, gave it that manly touch and was able to unplug the sink. It didn't happen this time. So I took out the heavy guns, I took the toilet plunger, and I I mean, there was a lot of suction going on there, and all that accomplished was that water started squirting out all of the PV joints underneath the sink. I thought, okay, I'm doing damage now, I think I need to figure out another plan. Went downstairs and saw the place where, no doubt, it was plugged up a, a rather long, um, galvanized pipe saw a little clean-out valve at the end I says okay I'll just you know take my channel locks and take that off wasn't gonna happen F- grab my pipe wrench wasn't gonna happen I thought I need to get a a a, a, a larger pipe inserted in that pipe to get some leverage and of course I have packed everything up it's all in the garage and there I am in the garage taking boxes off the stacks putting my hand in trying to find this thing couldn't find it called Bob's asked if he had a pipe Finally, Bob said, do you want me to come over? I said, I would love you to come over. I could appreciate your expertise. But sad to say, even with two men that have done a lot of mending over the course of our relatively long lives, we could not unplug the sink. But you know what Bob said after we were done? He said, I had a good time anyway. What a, what a good Joe, huh? I mean, that was, and, I, and, it, and it certainly was a much better for evening for me being able to fail with Bob at my side than doing it all alone. Amen, Amen. yeah. By the way, he, she, he was not my only assistant. Sharon had been my assistant before Bob arrived, and, and she was very gracious in letting, letting Bob take her place. But, so, yeah, we mend things. And that's a part of, that's also a part of uh, love, Fixing something rather than throwing it away, for example. Loving the good things of this earth. Loving the work that other people have put into it. And then there's mending relationships. Talk about hard, right? And that's that's a part of God's love for us. It's a big part of God's love for us. It's why he sent his son into this world so that he could mend the relationship between us and God, but also break down those barriers that um, get in the way of our relationships with one another. So John writes, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. There's a, a word that's embedded in that verse that describes um, how the Bible understands mending. It's, it's a luggage word. I've often referred to it as a luggage word. There's a lot of stuff in this one word. It's the word salvation. Jesus came to save us. And inside that word salvation is, is healing, a uh, rescue, reconciliation, restoration. God is in the restoration business. And that's part of the business we're going to be about, um, and, and you know, that's different than, than, you know, going up to someone you know, your son or daughter or spouse, and saying, "I'm going to fix you." Doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. Whether or not you say it, once the other person figures out that you're trying to fix them, there's going to be a pushback. On the other hand, we can be a healing presence. We can listen. We can encourage. We can come alongside, and sometimes people want us to help us think through things together. It's part of what we do on Sunday mornings. We let the Word of God come alongside of us so that we can be healed, so that we can be mended. Love mends. Love sacrifices. Building stuff is costly. Mending stuff is costly. I understand that in the last year, the price of lumber went up 300%. Fortunately, it's come down some now. We've got this housing crisis right now, in part because we've not been able to build houses fast enough to to meet demand. Fixing stuff is costly. I mean, Bob was gracious enough to come over on Thursday night. It took us, you know, quite a while to finally realize we weren't going to succeed. And so, it takes time. It takes money, as I found out the next morning when I called the plumber, and he's still not done. Um, yeah, making stuff, repairing stuff, requires sacrifice. this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins like i said i I really don't mind mending stuff for the most part especially when i'm successful and even you know the thing is i can take risks when i try to fix stuff because i know that if If it falls apart, I can call someone like Bob, or if I'm, you know, even though I'm a Dutchman, I I can even pay for it. I can pay someone else to do it, okay? But there's one kind of mending that I don't enjoy, and that's mending relationships. That almost always requires a vulnerability, a risk-taking, a humiliation that I don't enjoy. I suppose it's one among many reasons why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. And the cross was about reconciliation, right? Take up your cross and follow me. And you know, Roman cross symbolized vulnerability. There you were naked on that cross. It certainly <laughs> represented risk. And people were willing to, you had to be willing to risk a lot if you were willing to, Potentially pay the price of hanging on a cross. For example, if you were a slave and, and, and you knew that if you tried to escape and didn't succeed, that's where you would end up. And the humiliation of it. Mending relationships is difficult. But it's part of the cost and sacrifice of our bringing healing into our world. Being agents of healing. love sends verse 9 we read this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him god so loved the world that he sent his son love sends you see When you become a son or daughter of God, you're agreeing to be sent. Because God isn't just about himself. God isn't just about his own and his own little circle or family. What God is about is everything and everyone. And so when you become a part of God in God's life, you become a part of something much bigger than yourself. And you're glad to do that, at least most of the time, at least some of the time, because we know that our time here before Jesus comes back again, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming back again, this time is to be given to participating in helping the world be God's kingdom and to know God's love. And that means being willing to be sent. Sometimes that means being sent to a faraway place like Africa in the case of Roger and Sue. Sometimes that means being sent to a relatively faraway place like Schenectady, as was the case for Sharon and me 19 years ago. And now we're feeling sent to go back to Kalamazoo. Being sent and allowing people to be sent can be hard. That's why it's a part of love and that's why it's a part of sacrifice. Just last night, Sharon was saying at our dinner table, this is my life. These are my friends. Nineteen years ago, it was our family, our biological family that let us go. It's also true that we don't have to be sent to Africa. One time uh, when Jesus healed a man who was filled with demons. We often call him the demoniac because he was so filled with demons. He was so excited about being set free that he said to Jesus, I'm coming with you. And Jesus says, no, I'm sending you home. It's there that I want you to give witness to what you have heard and seen and experienced. And so, as often as not, maybe more often than not, we are sent to those places where we are already living and working and playing and learning. And it's so important, brothers and sisters, that we see ourselves as being sent there rather than stuck there. It's so easy to feel ourselves as being stuck when God wants us to realize that we've been sent, there's a purpose. And so, uh, yeah, love sends and is willing to be sent. And that can be hard. It's a part of the sacrifice of love. And love is fearless. John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with with punishment, I should have set the timer a little longer on those. <laughs> I was experimenting with that this week. Love casts out fear. Now, please, please know I'm not saying that, lo- that we're never afraid. Jesus was afraid. We talk about cross, you know, the night before Jesus' death, he was deathly afraid of his death. He sweat drops of blood. We're going to be anxious. Biologically, it's just going to happen. It's just something that happens to how our brains work and how our bodies work. When we talk about love being fearless, what we're saying is that in spite of our fear, we're going to obey what God calls us to do. In spite of our fear, we're going to seek reconciliation. In spite of our fear, we're going to go outside of our comfort zone and love those God has called us to love. And I have seen you folks do that time and time and time again over the last 19 years. It's a beautiful thing. It's been said that courage is doing it scared. It's being scared, but doing it anyway. And so this isn't ultimately about our level of anxiety, although that does matter. And over the course of our journey with Christ, he wants to help us with that. But when I say that love is fearless, I'm saying that love is fierce. Love is bold. It's not aggressive. It's not controlling. It's not manipulative. I'm not saying that. Yes, we will be afraid. But it's being willing to act in spite of our fear, not allowing that fear to thwart what God is calling us to do. Love is fearless. And finally, love lives like Jesus. I said earlier that if something is worth saying once, it's worth saying twice. And uh, that ends up being the case about this very thing in John's epistle. I'll be honest with you, I I think I've, I've sometimes missed this in reading through this epistle. It's like I just sort of glided right over it. Let's look at a couple of passage, passages together. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's back in 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And then today's reading in verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. That didn't work. Can you bring that back up again? I'm sorry. And then the next one. We'll have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And so a part of loving is being like Jesus. That's a pretty tall order, right? And what does it mean? I mean, when I think about Jesus, I think about a guy who healed people right and left. Just referred to a person who had all these demons cast out of him. Someone who calmed the wind and the waves. I mean, should I be able to single-handedly turn back the tide of climate change? Feeding thousands of people with boys' lunch? Is that what we're talking about when we talk about being like Jesus? I don't think so. Even though some of those things may manifest themselves in, in our life as followers of Jesus and as communities. Usually, when the Bible is talking about being like Jesus, it's talking about the pattern of Jesus. And so, uh, the Apostle Paul, in that really familiar passage in Philippians 2, says, your, your mind, your thinking should be like Christ, who, even though he was by, na- by na- very nature God, he emptied himself, became nothing, became a servant. Remember, Jesus said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. And then he humbled himself even further and became obedient, even to the point of death, and even further to the point of execution by crucifixion. So there's a a downward mobility. There's a, a servant heart and pattern that I believe is to be the pattern of our lives. And so Jesus is our example, but here's the kicker. This is the thing we have to keep in mind. Don't try to live like Jesus without Jesus. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Just to to make the same point, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing that may be an exaggeration but if we're really going to live like Jesus we really need Jesus And the good news is that he wants to live in us which to my way of thinking this morning is one of the greatest miracles I mean, think about it yeah it's absolutely astounding as we'll celebrate Christmas <laughs> and during Advent again that that God became human And it's actually absolutely astounding that Jesus loved people the way that he did during his ministry and astounding that he died on that cross in Good Friday and rose again. But in some ways, it's just as astounding that the risen Christ would come to live in me and in you and among us. I mean, isn't that... Fantastic. Isn't that miraculous? That God's love compels him to never leave us, as Lynn shared in her children's message, to live in us. At one point he said in John's gospel, stay with me as I stay with you. This is such good news. God loves us so much that he doesn't want to live without us. And so love love is something that makes, it mends. It's something that sacrifices and sends. God's love is fearless. And finally, God's love, well, it lives like Jesus. Now, that's six things, and we only have five weeks left. So we're going to talk about the last one every week. We're not going to talk about any of the specific things like making and mending apart from Jesus, because we want to practice what we've just said, that we need Jesus to be Jesus. We need Jesus to love like God loves This uh, writer of this epistle, John the Evangelist, is the only only one of the 12 apostles that lived to become a very old man. All the others had died. Um, And what we're told is they died in some, they were executed. They didn't just die a natural death. Well, John got to be so old that tradition tells us, Jerome tells us this, that that there came a point where he had to be carried to gatherings like this for worship and fellowship. And when when he was brought to those, those gatherings, he would be asked to share some words. And as time went on, he would always say the same thing. Brothers and sisters, love one another. At some point, the brothers and sisters and some of his disciples became a little irritated. And they finally said, you know, isn't there more you want to tell us? Is that all you're going to say? And this was his response. Because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. Let's pray together. Father, we now know what love is. We know because of Jesus. Teach us, Lord, teach us how to love like Jesus. Maybe trust, maybe rest in your love for us, even and especially in life's trials. Today I lift up to you little Connor, Pam, and the Tigert family. Patty, and the Gentile family. We lift up to you, Gerlinda, and all who struggle with physical ailments, named and unnamed. We pray for Roger and Sue as they care for the sick and as they share the gospel. We pray for fruit for their ministry, for many to know and follow you in community together. We pray for our denomination and for our own congregation and its place in the unfolding of your kingdom on earth. Bless its present and future leaders. Prepare us all for the adventures ahead. Yes, Lord, may your kingdom come. Sisters and brothers, please join me in praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.